Hello, my name is Ashley, and I'm a volunteer here at Recovery Radio. Did you know that Recovery Radio is heard in over 100 countries? People regularly log into our site from such places as Beijing, China, London, England, Paris, France, and Berlin, Germany. But in addition to these large cities, we get traffic from such places as Baghdad, Iraq, Mogadishu, Somalia, Cape Town, South Africa, and Miga, Ukraine. It is a great honor to serve the needs of the recovery community in all these places, but it's expensive. This is why I'm asking for your help. Please log in to recoveryradio.net and click the donate button. Your charitable contribution is fully tax deductible and will be put to immediate use, helping us fulfill our mission. Become part of the solution yourself and contribute today. I'm an alcoholic, and my name is Tim, and I'm here tonight because I want to be sober more than I want to be drunk, and, uh, and that's why I'm here. Just thinking about it, if this would have been any other group of people besides Alcoholics Anonymous, people would have laughed, got mad, you know, called the congressman, and uh, thank God for Agnes and, and the laughter, and you know, that's why I'm around here in Alcoholics Anonymous, just what happened here tonight, you know, um, just to laugh with the people that I love the most. And it's people in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I'm not even nervous anymore. <laughs> I, um, I'm sure the AA police are going to get me later. Uh, I do not have a home group at this, at this time. However, my heart uh, still belongs to Eldersburg into action. Uh, and um, a lot of you might not know, uh, a couple months ago, I changed careers and moved to Leesburg, Virginia. And uh, I'm glad to be back in Maryland, and uh, and that's all I'm going to say about that. <clears throat> I uh, I do have a sobriety date. It's September 16th, 1989. Uh, but but because of the grace of God and the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, I've had a drink today. And uh, like Dudley used to say, I'm not thirsty. And uh, I'm very grateful. I like also like my brother said, I'd like to thank the committee for giving me the honor to uh, lead this meeting night. It is an honor. Uh, I am looking forward to 901, and uh, or I don't know how long I'm, who knows. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> a lot of changes uh, in my whole sobriety, let alone in the last couple months. And um, the fact that uh, I've learned a lot of things in Alcoholics Anonymous, a lot of things, and I'm sure as you have also. Uh, and, and one of the things that, that I'm grateful for is, um, like you, many times in sobriety I've been knocked down, but AA's taught me, you know, you get knocked down ten times, you get up eleven. You know, and, and change is scary, but uh, because of my faith and my trust in God, um, I'm able to, to face the wind and do what I have to do and, and watch my expectations, you know. Um, it's been scary, but I've had a lot of phone calls from members of my home group, family, and uh, people just calling me during the day, how's it going, we miss you. And, and that's a gift. That's a gift, you know. And uh, because of my love for our Creator, and, and I also believe in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I love Him dearly. And because of that, I've gotten two great loves. And one is my love for Alcoholics Anonymous, 
meaning the program itself and the people in it. I have a lot of friends in this room. And secondly is my love for my family, uh, my direct family, meaning my brother. And I have two children, and a lot of you know, they've heard me speak before. I talk a lot about my son and my daughter and my granddaughter uh, because that's what I use to gauge my recovery and tell you how AA has affected my life. I'm not real big on telling you what I've done in AA. I haven't done anything any different than most of you in this room. Um, but because of that, uh, I, I'm able to stand here tonight. But anyway, before all this love and great stuff, had, I guess I better talk a little bit about drinking. Um, I am a drunk. Uh, I had my first drink, um, like a lot of you, I, I guess I was 12, 12 and a half years old. It would be about 1965. And I can tell you, when I had that first drink, it was let go and let Tim. Um, for use, for use, there comes the Baltimore in me. For those of you, <laughs> I don't love drinking with you, Agnes. Um, for those of you in AA that really didn't have a lot of fun, I, uh, I'm sorry, but I had a lot of fun with alcohol for a while. I had a good stretch, a good run. I drank about 23 years. I'm a barroom drunk. And uh, in the first 12 or 13 of those 23, alcohol worked. Uh, it worked for me. I absolutely got a kick out of it. It was exciting. It was adventurous. And I had a lot of fun with it. And what it did for this drunk is it took a, an average, um, I didn't really have red hair. I had orange hair. And... Um, an average kid who idolized Brooks Robinson and Johnny Unitas and looked like uh, Opie Taylor and, uh, or Bozo and uh, took this uncool, ordinary kid and uh, in his own mind moved him up to the leader of the pack. And, uh, and that's what alcohol did to me. It seduced me. And, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I had a lot of fun. Now, a lot of you know that this is my brother, Mike. It's, it's what a, I can't tell you the gift of getting sober with a brother. You know, God, God made Mike and I brothers. AA made us friends. And I owe you for that. And I owe you for that. And I have quite a few family members in Alcoholics Anonymous. Cousins, second cousins, niece, nephew-in-law. Um, sometimes at family dinners or, or parties, we don't know whether to say grace or read the prologue. You know? <laughs> But that's, that's another gift of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. When I got sober, I had to make, uh, actually Mike and I both made amends to each other. Um, I, I, he got the short end of the stick. I absolutely took, stole, lied, did anything in my power uh, to, to take advantage of him. Now, Mike's seven years older than me. And, uh, and like I said, when I started drinking, you know, I'm, I'm 12 and I can't get served, but, but at age of 14 or 15, you know, I used to, I stole his, uh, or I found in the trash. Remember the old paper driver's license? Well, they were easy to, to, you know, fix up and make a fake ID. It was easy. All you needed was a, an eraser or a typewriter. And, uh, and, and I stole his social security card. I stole his, uh, I can't mention the place. Huh? You what? Draft card. And, and I pretty much, and I stole money out of his wallet and, and the whole deal. And, and I had this fake ID, and for about a year in our life, when I was about 14, we were the same height, same weight. And, and I, there's a couple of places I could get served at, Steve's and Cadenceville, Maiden Choice Liquors, and, 
you know, and I'm 14, 15 years old, and I'm getting served. And, and, and this is what, 67, 68, 66, whatever. And, and things weren't like they are now. It was a lot easier. It just things weren't that strict. But I walked into a bar one time up on Route 1, Washington Boulevard, excuse me, uh, called the Rusty Nail. And I walked in the bar, and, and I was getting carry out. And the guy says, I need to see some ID. Not a problem. Showed him my driver's license. And he, and he quizzed me. All right, what's your address? 1019 Elmridge Avenue, 212229. Huh. You Mike Bear? I said, I sure am. He says, I know Mike Bear. Get the hell out of my bar. <laughs> you know? So um, I, I just had a lot of fun. Mike was in the National Guard for six years and went through the riots and all that. I even took his fatigues because it had bear, you know, real big on the left breast. And I walked down to Becker's and Wilkins Avenue and, you know, went to the carryout and went, hi, hi, can I have six paps to go? You know? And, and I just had fun with it. I just, I loved it. I love drinking. You know? Um, I'm an alcoholic because of what's up here, not, a, not what I drank. My drink of choice was more. You know? I mean, really. Um, I'm the type of... I tell you what, I'd have smoked a horse turkey to get high. I, it didn't matter. It didn't matter whether it was beer, schnapps, old granddad, uh, left-handed cigarette, all the bells and whistles. I did it all, you know, because I just liked the effect. And I had a lot of fun with it. Excuse me. Give me water, please. Come on. Take your time. 25 um, seconds. Never really got any serious trouble. Excuse me. I uh, went to an all-boys Catholic high school, Cardinal Gibbons on Wilkins and Caton Avenue, and, and I'm grateful for that education. I'm not in Alcoholics Anonymous because I was uh, Catholic or Irish or, or what have you. It has nothing to do with my alcoholism. It's just part of my experience. Um, actually, my first week of Cardinal Gibbons, this is a true story. Barbara told me to tell the truth. Um, I had uh, once again stolen from my brother, took his birth certificate, and was running copies on the uh, copy machine in the library for my friends, you know, and because uh, I'm really a, a, a nice guy. And uh, brother Frank O'Donnell caught me in the act, and he took my brother's birth certificate, and he says, I'll give it to you when you graduate. And, and that's four years later, which was 1971. Well, as you know, somewhere I, either 69 or 70, Mike and a bunch of his friends were going to Germany for Oktoberfest, and, and, and my mother, I'm sure like a lot of you, we had a drawer in our house that had birth certificates in it, baptismal certificates, health records. And everybody's records are in there, including my two older sisters, but Mike's birth certificate. And, of course, who's the person he's asking, Tim, you see my birth certificate? You know, not to let him know that it's going to be three years before he sees it again. <laughs> you know? But, uh, you know, it just, it, it, I had a lot of fun. It was just exciting to me. It just kind of shenanigans I did, you know. Um, when I hit high school, uh, I'm drinking every weekend now, and I'm playing sports also. Uh, I'm going to Maiden Choice Teen Center on Friday night. I'm going to CYO dances on Saturday night. I'm going to Mount St. Joe dances and Gibbons dances and Seton dances. And, and a lot of times now I'm not getting in. Either the nuns or the brothers, they could smell my breath, and and uh, and they wouldn't allow me to come to the dance. And you know what? That was okay. It really was. It just gave me a chance to stand out on the parking lot and 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 be with the boys. You know, pass the bottle around, and and it was just fun, whether I got into the dance or not. 
You know, whether I met her or not, it didn't matter because I love drinking. You know, when I take a drink, the most important thing in my life is the next drink. Let's say it again. When I take a drink, the most important thing in my life is the next drink. Him, you, and them are going. And that's as true today as it was when I had my last drink. And I'm grateful that I know that. Um, anyway, when I got out of Gibbons, um, I, you know this story, and uh, I went to college, UCLA, University of Catonsville, left of Arbutus. <laughs> and uh, I haven't... Uh, I haven't been to school with girls in four years because, again, Gibbons was a Catholic boys' school. And uh, I'm in my glory, you know, and uh, I'm at Kate State. Man, you could smoke in class, and and uh, I, I didn't do very well. <laughs> I, uh, I had an eight-track player. I had a 66 Chevy, and uh, I spent all my study classes riding around. I see Bob nodding his head, riding around State Park. You know, listen to Led Zeppelin and Jethro Tall and Boone's Farm and Six Pack of Loudmouth and, and again, a couple left-handed cigarettes. And, you know, they were my studies, you know. I spent 23 years <laughs> being terminally cool and extremely hip. <laughs> I'm here to report <laughs> it's a fantasy. <laughs> it does not exist. I wasted 23 years just thinking, uh, ain't he neat? You know, ain't he neat. I, uh, I was asked to leave school. Somebody asked my dad one time, said, Tim, what, what, uh, what's Tim taking up in school? He said, space. He <laughs> told the truth. So I, uh, 1973, I'm, uh, almost 21 years old. I'm 20. I'll be 20 in 74, 21. And, uh, I decided to go to Ocean City, Maryland. Now, you know, this again, this is Tim's plan. You know, you know the book says, we think the alcoholic an extreme example of self-will run right. All right? I go to Ocean City because I figure, you know what, I'm going to have fun now. And then when I'm like 35, I'll start working. You know? And, and, and that came true. <laughs> that came true. And uh, so I go to Ocean City, Maryland, and um, um, I'm looking for a job. I'm down there in March, and... Uh, uh, actually, I went out for the Beats Patrol, and I had to take the test three times. Uh, I did not get the job um, and, and because of preju- prejudice reasons. At that time, I used to have a big Afro bush, and uh, the captain and the sergeant of the Beats Patrol didn't want anybody to look like that on the Beats Patrol. So I walked into the Sazerac Pub Dungeon Bar on 4th Street and a boardwalk, and ask if they had any jobs. They said they had two jobs, a dishwasher and a bartender. <laughs> I can read, I can bartend. And, uh, and that's where I ended up working that summer, the summer of 74. Uh, it was a great summer, I heard. It was really good. I, uh, I had a, here's what I did. I worked three days a week at the Sazerac, which was upstairs on the boardwalk. And I worked day shift. And then three nights a week, I worked in the dungeon, which was a nightclub underneath. I worked six days a week, one day off. And, and I, I loved that job. I loved bartender. And you know what was cool? At that time, down that part of Ocean City, a lot of families were still, it was still a popular part of Ocean City for week-long vacationers. 
And, you know, by the second or third day when people come off the beach, you know, I'd get to know them. And, you know, this guy would drink a uh, uh, a Bloody Mary, and this lady liked to kill Sunrise, and this guy liked a gin and tonic. And, you know, as soon as they'd walk into the bar, I'd shove it in front of them. And, and, and these people would send down dinners. You know, they say, hey, look, we stayed home tonight. The wife cooked would send me down a plate of food. And, and, you know, they'd ask me questions, where's a good place to eat in the ocean or how many boards in the boardwalk. And, you know, and, and as you can imagine, I'm an extrovert, and I love, I love people. I really do. And, and I love talking to these people, but at the same time, I'm drinking, they're drinking, and, and, and that's what it was about. Well, this next story takes place in about July of 74. Now, you, most of you, I'm sure, are from Maryland, or you know it's a, a resort. And from July to August, Ocean City's packed with tourists. And it's a Thursday, and it's my day off. And uh, I'd been drinking in the early morning. I'm sitting out front. They had chairs and tables on the boardwalk and ended early afternoon with a buddy of mine named Harry. And I got a pretty good bag on, you know. I mean, I'm drinking every day anyway. But um, did anybody in here ever get drunk and have an idea? <laughs> did I? Uh, so I went behind the Shoreham Hotel to actually use the men's room, and uh, I happened to see one of those green dumpsters, and the side door was open, and I found a dead sand shark. And, I mean, he's pretty good length. He's about four foot. And I got an idea. Now, this is 1974. This is before Spiel Spielberg would come out with that movie in 75, right? And uh, so I stole a towel from the Shoreham, and I wrapped the shark up in the towel, and I went out to the boardwalk, and I, I said to Harry, I said, come on down to the beach with me. And we'll show you something. He says, what are you doing? He says, trust me. <laughs> so I, uh, I waded out into the ocean to about, you know, about to my chest. I let the towel go, and I, and I took this shark, and, and I, you know, I held on to him in the water just so his dorsal fin broke the water line, and I started screaming shark. You know, and, and like I said, even before the movie Jaws, the year before that, people were still scared. And they started swimming towards the beach, and the, and the beach patrol's doing the semaphore, and I'm wrestling this shark like Johnny Wisemore in a Tarzan movie. You know? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a kid of the 50s and the 60s. I got, you know, I'm all these people. Johnny Wisemore, I'm all, Superman, all this stuff. And I'm wrestling this shark, and I'm beating him up, and I roll him into the surf. Right? And, uh, my buddy Harry pooped himself laughing. You know how when you drink all day, sometimes you lose bladder control? <laughs> and, um, and, and I roll in the snurf, in the snurf, in the surf, and, uh, and I'm laughing, the snot's coming out of my nose, and there, there's a good crowd gathered, and, and there's women and children, and they're thanking me for saving their lives. You know? And, you know, people are clapping, and, you know, like, God. And, uh, you know, it's funny, though, wherever I went that summer, and uh, every and I went to a lot of parties, and and and, I, and somebody invariably would come up to me and say, "Hey, are you the guy that wrestled the shark?" And I'd put my chest out and I'd go, "As me." <laughs> and, and I knew, and I knew, you know, whether they said it or didn't say it, I I knew they said something like, "God, ain't he neat? Ain't he something?" And, and all my life as a drunk, the alcohol in my sick mind gave me permission to do and say whatever I wanted to do, you know, and, and I could get away with it. It was funny at 18. It was funny at 22. It wasn't funny at 35, you know. 
But uh, I uh, I got a lot of favors because of that event. And I tried equal on that on other things. And, and again, I, I get goofy stuff. You know, I'll tell you this one story. I was in the, I finished drinking at the Loop Tavern up in Irvington next to Mount St. Joe. And, and as you can tell, I'm an actor. And, and I'm drunk, you know, high as 10 you know what. And, uh, all suddenly I go into a, uh, imitation of Tony Montana and Scarface. Right? And I take, and this is a true story. It's, it's so stupid. I don't even like telling it. I take commercial dish powder that was behind the bar, because I knew the guy that owned the bar, and I pour it on the bar, and I take a spatula, and I start breaking lines up. You know? And I'm doing, hey, Tony Montana, I took that, you know, and I'm doing the whole skit, you know, and everybody's laughing, and I even went down and snorted this stuff. I was blowing bubbles for two days. And actually, tell you the truth, my nose bled, and I really, I really got sick. I really had a serious headache. Just the fact to make you laugh. And they would say, my last name's Bear. I'm not anonymous in AA. They would say, Bear, you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. I loved hearing that. I really did. You know, I'd stand a little taller. And that was my purpose. You know, when I walked into Alcoholics Anonymous, I, I used to try to figure out where it went wrong, where it turned bad. You know, why do I got to be here? Because, you know, again, I'm under that delusion that I'm really a great guy. You know, I'm a lot of fun. You're going to like me. And the thing of it is, I'm great at the start. I'm great at the sprint. I could never, ever run the distance. You know, I could never do the distance. The only thing that I ever did full tilt, full measure, is to drink alcohol. Because I've all, and I still have a little bit of this rebellious, renegade nature in me. Even, you know, almost 17 years sober, it still pops up, you know. Um, All my life, people that were in my life, whether relationships and at one time even a wife, this is what I used to say, come on in, back off. Come on in, back off. Don't get too close to me, you see, because I'm going to let you down. I'm going to let you down. I'm a great starter. I don't finish. I don't like the movie. I get up and leave. And that's a coward. That's what cowards do. You know, when you start talking about mortgage payment and commitment and and stuff like that, I run. I'm a runner by nature. And and I'm not proud of that. But that's I owe you the truth. And that's what I did. That's a very lonely way to exist. Come on in. Back off. You know? I mean, I, I would have teachers and, and neighbors and coaches and all, and, and you know, they'd say, Tim, you're great. It's, it's great having you as a student. But something inside of me just said, I'm out of here. I'm done. Time for to move on. And, and you know what it is. I don't have to tell you what it is. It's fear. Fear, you know. Fear that I'm going to fail. Feel, fear that I'm not going to meet your expectations because once you find out what I'm really like, and it's all going to change. So I'll run before you make that decision. And you'll just, you know. I mean, the ego, my first sponsor sitting in the room here, he pointed that to me over and over again. And I actually realized it, you know. The ego, the self-centeredness of this drunk. When I walked into a bar, this is going to make you sick to your stomach, but this is what I thought. 
When I walked in a bar, I actually heard music. I heard Clint Eastwood music. You know, like... And I walked in a bar, I'm sure everybody stopped and went, Hey, he's here. And when I left the bar, I thought they were all at the windows going, Who was that masked man? That's the ego of this drunk. That's the ego. Like, it's this guy over here going, Yeah, yeah, You know, I loved it all, man. The smoke, the cigarettes, the jukebox, the, the women, the whole deal. You know, I, I, it's just, it was just fun, you know. What made it not fun? I uh, I met a lady, and, and, and she got pregnant. And, and we did the Irish thing, the Catholic thing. We got married, you know. And I'm 25 years old. And uh, I have two children as a result of that marriage, you know. In hindsight, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. But, you know, I spent six and a half years resenting this woman, woman because I thought she trapped me into this thing. You know, and again, I'm 25 years old, but I'm a little boy in a man's body. You know, I'm still 12 and a half years old, intellectually and, and emotionally. And I'm the last guy on this planet should have been married. You know, I will say this, and I didn't even admit this until I got sober. I loved being a father. I just wasn't real crazy about the marriage thing. You know, so in this marriage, um, this is how I punished her. And this is how I punished everybody. You know, if, if you did me wrong... I won't gift you with my presence. <laughs> Made sense to me. But uh, in this marriage, I got involved in a, I was in a men's softball league. I played, uh, I was in a men's flag football league. I was in a dart league, and it was a shuffleboard league. And uh, I did these things because I'm an athlete. <laughs> All these things involve a bar. I did these things to drink, to get out of the house. I didn't drink at home. That's just my story, you know. I didn't drink at home, and uh, my wife used to communicate with me via notes on the refrigerator. Tim, BG&E called. We're three months behind the mortgage company. You know, isn't that sad? And uh, and that's how it was. Um, she finally told me. She said, "Tim, I love you. I always love you, but you got to go." You know, and, and I did. And uh, I became a part-time father, and I would have my kids every summer since then and every other weekend, and, and I did not miss that because, like I said, I love being a father, but that guilt was always in there. You know, I wasn't raised like that. Mike and I come from good parents. You know, they went the distance. You know, it wasn't their fault. Um, I didn't know it was alcohol. I thought it was just bad luck, you know. And, and, and I met another I met another wonderful lady, and, and I've been really blessed and, I'm, and a lot of you know in here, I'm not good with relationships. I'm not good with finance, you know. Um, I'm probably not even good as a career person. I'm still looking at 52 years old. But you know what? I got you guys, and I got my family. If that's as good as it gets, I'm happy. I'm happy. I don't have it all figured out. I'm still, you know, I'm still anting up. But uh, I met another lady, and, and, and I'll get on with this drink. And just, you know, you all know how to drink. It was the same thing. Tim, I love you, but Tim, you don't know when to stop. You know, it was the same thing. You know, I'd, I'd go to, uh, at that time, uh, the company I was with in the food business, I'd go to Richmond on Fridays and come home on Monday. You know, and it was the same drill weekend after weekend. You know, now that I'm a little bit older, I'm not drinking every day now, you know, but I'm either drinking, I'm either thinking of a drink, or I'm coming off my last drunk. And that's what I did for 23 years. 
And, and I'd come back on a Monday and I'd sit in front of this lady and it'd be the same thing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's my fault. You know, and this is Monday. By Wednesday, it was your fault. <laughs> I'd be a good boy for two days. And I'd mow lawns. I'd do homework with the kids. You know, I'd buy her flowers and candy. And I'd go to work and put in 14 hours. And everybody loves Tim Bear again. But you know what I'm thinking. When's it my time? You know, Thursday night. Dark night. You know, and it starts all over again. Same thing. You know. This lady started to go to Al-Anon. I'm living with her in Columbia now. And... uh and I won't go into the long story, but actually my children had to come and live with me in Columbia for two years. Their mom, my former wife, I don't say the word X. X denotes no value. My former wife and I are like this, and we've been separated, divorced for 20 years. She's one of my dearest friends. That's the grace of God. That's our cox and We still raised our children together. You know, I'm very grateful to Shan. Um, but anyway, this lady, Mary, a little Italian girl from South, South uh, Jersey, starts to go to Al-Anon. I start to see Al-Anon pamphlets in my sock and underwear drawer. <laughs> They're on the commode. They're next to the coffee pot, places that I visit, you know. And uh, I swear to you, uh, I saw this one pamphlet said, if he dies, he dies. <laughs> Holy shit. So I... Uh, <laughs> She gave me the ultimatum. And once again, I heard it again. You don't stop drinking. You're going to have to live, find a place to live. I'm living in her house in Columbia with her two daughters and my two children. I've got, you know, I've got to pay attention to this. I don't have a place to live. Now i got my children with me. So I go into Alcoholics Anonymous. I remember my first meeting, um, August of 1988. And I walked into AA. It's the same way I walked into Loop. What's up? You know. Like everybody in here, nobody gets in here on a winning streak. You know what I mean? You know, most of us. I did meet a young man tonight who, who's glad to be here, and it's his second, you know, his first meeting, I think, second meeting. And uh, But I didn't want to be here, just like you. You know, I'm 35 years, at that time, I was 34 years old. I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous, but i got to get the heat off, you know. And, and you know what I'm doing in an AA meeting. I'm doing AA math. You know, I'm counting light fixtures and outlets. You know, I'm thinking about, what am I going to do on St. Patrick's Day? <laughs> Jesus, Mary and Joseph. You know? What am I going to do on Yom Kippur? Whatever the hell that is. You know? What am I going to do on Groundhog's Day? You know how to drink. I know how to drink. Alcoholics Anonymous is about, you know, not about drinking. What you had, what the men and, la men and ladies in AA had that I didn't have, is they knew how to live life sober. I haven't been sober since I was 12, 12 and a half years old. You know, that's what I found. And I rode the fence in AA for 13 months. I really did. You know, because you know why I'm up here. What about me? I tell you what, if I'd have had a theme song, you know what it would have been? I'm always on my mind. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm in a 60-minute AA meeting, and for 58 minutes, I'm thinking about Tim. You know? Poor Tim, I, I'll chant the rest of my life, you know. A guy like me, all the fun that I have, and you you know how new drunks are. I want to give you a drink-by-drink drink blow of the drinking. Man, you know how much fun I had? Shut up, Tim. I got tired of hearing me talk. <clears throat> Something happened in that 
13 months. What happened was, once in a while, I would listen from here. And I'll tell you what, I met champions in Alcoholics Anonymous. Some of them are sitting here tonight. Met champions, and I'm talking about men and women. Because once in a while, I would, I would listen from here, and I would listen to how uh, you would make amends to your children or your parents or your spouse or, or make financial retribution to either a company or a friend. And, and, and you came out of dumpsters, and you're walking straight, and you, and you were owning businesses. And, and, and I'll tell you what, my, my whole life, I've never been an autograph seeker, whether it be uh, athletes or, 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 or politicians or even rock stars. You know, I'm too impressed with me, I guess. But for the, for the first time in my life, I found heroes in Alcoholics Anonymous. And you absolutely blew me away. You really did. You got me. You got me. And I still admire you. I've met champions in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and what I did was I asked for help. And uh, I was over at a guy's house, and he's sitting in a room. And he started me on the first step of Alcoholics Anonymous. He took me right to the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Did not give me any opinions or theories on how to get sober. You know, he didn't thank me for sharing or tell me to keep coming back. He took me to the big book. And that's why I'm standing here tonight. Good sponsorship. Our literature. It's even more precious to me now than it was that day. And that's why I'm here. And I got excited about AA, and I still am. And I still am. You know? I... uh I've been on several retreats since I've been sober in AA. Now, let me say this. AA does not sponsor retreats or dances or what have you. A retreat is a suggestion. I've probably averaged about two a year since I've been sober. They work for Tim. I do exactly what the word says. Retreat. Back off. You know, be still and know that he is God. It's just one of the tools of sobriety that works for this alcoholic. But I'm going to tell you about my first retreat, and I'm six months sober, and I'm on my third step. And naturally, like most drunks, I'm thinking about my fourth step, you know. And and I'm at Matt Talbot, uh, a monastery up in uh, Randall, uh, Pikesville. And I'll tell you who was at this retreat. And I, I'm not normally a name dropper, but a lot of you know him. I met a guy named Barney Griffin. I met a guy named John Sands. Guy Jim Deegan from Glen Burnie, and I can go on Ray France from Brooklyn. And, and I've been on retreats in, when I was in high school, and I'm on a retreat with 52 men, M-E-N. And I have never experienced anything like that in my life. There was no testosterone. There was no conversation about the Orioles or the Colts or, or, or whatever. These 50-some men told me what to expect, what will happen to me if I don't take a drink one day at a time. And, and again, I had 52 champions, and I listened like I've never listened before. And that very Saturday evening, there's some other things that took place there that are not important right now, but I went out and did that third step with my first sponsor. And it, to me at the time, it was an event and has become a process. I love our third step prayer. 
I love all our prayers. I love the 11-step prayer on 99. I love the 7-step prayer. And I love the serenity prayer. And I love the Lord's prayer. But I love the third-step prayer because that's when it happened for this drunk. You know? When I say, even today, and I've said it today, actually a couple times today, God, I offer myself to Thee. Something happens to this drunk. These hands unclench and this heart opens up. You know? And especially that third line. Relieve me of the bondage of self. Because there's two things that separate me from the grace of God. One is alcohol and the other is ego. And if I can keep those two in check, I get to walk around on this planet like a man. Thank you, Alcoholics Anonymous. You know? Got to go to work. Got to pay bills. Got to do taxes. Do everything that you all have to do. But nobody or no thing owns me. I got one owner, and it's God. What a freedom. What a freedom. What a freedom. Un- incredible people that I've met in AA. Um, I remember, just, just how long do I have? What's an hour? 25 more minutes. Okay. I was hoping to say 15. I guess I was, um... <laughs> don't you love him? I was uh, asked to lead a meeting. It used to be uh, Oakview Treatment Center, Dave, and a lot of people remember it. Um, I guess I'm about um, three years sober. And my daughter's um, maybe four years sober. My daughter's about 14. And I walked into this, this treatment center, and like I said, I was asked to lead the meeting, and my daughter went with me because it was an open meeting. Now, however, when we walked into this rehab that day, it was an unusually young crowd. And what I mean by that is it was a lot of kids, you know, probably 14, and maybe the oldest was 18. Now, of course, my daughter's 14, and she's very intimidated with all these teenagers, you know. And, and, and I told her, I said, you know, this could be embarrassing um, to hear your dad is an alcoholic. She's, no, 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 Dad, I love AA, you know. But anyway, I do the meeting, and, and after the meeting, I'm talking to some, some young guys up front, and, and my daughters, they had the round tables there. My daughter's sitting at the table with four other young women who are all patients at this rehab. Now, being a good drunk, I'm wondering what they're talking about, you know? So we're riding home, and uh, that's in Elkett City, and I'm driving back to Sykesville with my daughter. And I finally, I said, Trina, what, what, what was up? What were those girls talking to you about? And she got real emotional. She says, you know what they wanted to know, Dad? I said, no, what? They want to know what it's like to have a father that's sober. I did one of them. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous has changed my whole family's life. Mike will tell you the same thing. For the positive. For the positive. Incredible. I would have never known that if I didn't take a drink and don't quit. That's what you told me. I would have never found that out. Because it is a place where miracles come true. The next story I tell is, is, is a favorite story. My dad uh, died January 95, and uh, he, uh, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer um, about 14 months prior to that. Actually, he made it a long time, 14 months, really. And, uh, and my dad was in the house we grew up in, row home on Elmridge. Now they're townhouses, but it was a row home. And... Uh, <laughs> And, and I have two older sisters who are not a members of this fellowship, but 
during that 14 months, my two sisters, Bonnie and Sue, and, and brother Mike and I, everybody picked the pace up and started visiting Dad and helping him out. And, you know, uh, no big deal. But Tuesday night was Guy's Night Out. And every Tuesday night, Mike and I and my dad went to dinner. I think we missed two Tuesdays out of those 14 months. And, and we'd help him shower and shave, and, and we went out to dinner, and we looked forward to it. I, every Tuesday, we really did. And, and my dad had been to a couple of my brother's anniversaries and been a couple of my anniversaries. And he didn't understand AA. You know, he thought Mike and I were like president and vice president. But um, <laughs> you know what? He loved Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, our home group at that time was Security Thursday night, and he met a couple couple uh, older guys of Bobby B and Wayne C, and, and he, he loved AA, and, and he, he loved the effect of AA on his boys. That's what he loved, just like we loved the effect of alcohol. But I'm going to take, you know, it was funny, we're, we were riding, we went to Duffy's in Irvington one night, and uh, we were riding in a car, and I'm driving, and my dad's sitting up front, my brother's in the back seat, and, and uh, he, he laid some wisdom on us, he said, boys... He says, um, you know, I, I hope neither one of you leave the state of Maryland, you know, whether you get married or a job change or whatever, or whatever. But, uh, you know, what, you got to do what you got to do. But I really hope you never leave. And, uh, and one thing, don't ever quit that AA, you know. I mean, he knew. And, and Mike, I looked at Mike in the rearview mirror, and he had a coast-to-coast grin, and I did, and, you know, all right. But uh, – I'm going to take you to the last Tuesday of his life. He would die on a Friday. And I get there on Tuesday night, and I don't have to tell anybody in this room what cancer does to a human being. He was a big man, and, and now he's down 80 pounds, and, and you know the drill. And uh, actually, Mike couldn't make it to the house that night. He met us later at the restaurant. And, uh, and, and I got to his house, and what I used to do, I'd put him in the shower, and I'd stand outside the shower and hold one arm while he bathed himself. He could still do that. And, and then when he got out of the shower, I, I put the lid down on the toilet seat, and I'd put a towel on it, and I'd shave him and brush his hair. And, and I'd finished shaving him, and I was brushing his hair, and because of his sickness, he had a bowel movement. He lost bladder control. And he looked up at me, and he had tears rolling down his cheeks, and he said, I'm sorry, you got to see me like this. Smoke. He used to call me Smoke. And I grabbed him by the face. I said, you're my pop. You're my pop. I love you. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And I got him cleaned up that night. And he was sitting downstairs in his little chair. And he was waiting to go out to dinner. And I went into another bedroom in that row home. And I got down on my knees and the tears were rolling down my cheeks. Not because I was disgusted. Had nothing to do with it. I was crying because I was grateful. I was grateful. All my life as a drunk, I've been taken and taken and taken. Alcoholics Anonymous allowed me to put something back into the kitty, and it felt good. I, like you, probably have always had this love inside of me. I just pushed it down farther and farther, and it was bursting out of my body, you know. And, and we went through that whole process of the funeral and all that and didn't miss a beat. You know, my mom died the month after I graduated in high school, 1971. I can't remember three minutes of that Irish typical drunken wake, you know. But I didn't have to go through that with my dad. And AA was there in droves. The pallbearers were Alcoholics Anonymous, were guys that we sponsor. Wayne C., a lot of you know from 
uh, Winter Circle did the eulogy per our request, you know. And, and that, what a gift. What a gift. That's why I love you people so much, you know. It's been an incredible, incredible journey, you know. Um, have I had bad times in sobriety? Yes. I, I made some bad decisions back in 2000. I left the job of 18 years. Um, thought I'd find something. I didn't. I had up working construction for my nephew-in-law, and at that time I'm 48 years old, banging nails, lifting lumber, and uh, uh, financially I hit rock bottom. And I was scared. You know, I was 11 years sober. 11 years sober, and I'll be honest with you, you know, I'm going like this. Hey, man, where are we going with this? <laughs> I got 11 years sober, you know? And I started to get discouraged. Now, at this next comment, you might cringe, but I don't care what you do, because I'll tell you what happened to this drunk. And this is what I believe and I know in my heart of hearts. I was under spiritual attack. You can call it alcoholism, which it is. You can call it the prince of darkness, whatever you want to call it. But it was yapping in my ear. And it was saying to me, you might not take a drink, but I'm going to convince you you are nothing. And that's my attitude for about three months. You know, man, I'm 48 years old. i got nothing. I've lost it all. You know, I was feeling sorry for myself. I was scared. You know, a lot of people take fear, not just drunks, but a lot of people take fear. Some of us turn it outwardly into anger and resentment. I'm the type of drunk that takes fear, and I turn it inside, and I turn it into resentment, I mean, uh, to self-pity. And, and I feel so, so sorry for Tim. You know? And, and <laughs> I'm feeling much better now. Um, and then I had to call on. I had to pick up the pace. I had to go to another level on my relationship with my Creator and His Son. And, and what I did was I called on the Nazarene. That's what I did that worked for me. It worked for me. And I started straightening up again, and the hope came back. Because at many times I would pull off the road, and I would say, I mean, even though I said, where are we going with this? I'm saying, I ain't drinking. I don't care what you do to me, I'm not drinking. Nothing. Nothing is worth me taking a drink. You know, I've never had this feeling of dignity and respect and honor that I've been given in sober life, and I'm not willing to give it up. I take the grace of God very serious. Truly, I do. I try not to take me real serious because I am a nut, you know. And, uh, and I got through it, and I talked to people. I'd stopped talking again. I had, I had to talk. I talked to some men, you know. Imagine that, going up to another man and saying, I'm scared, you know. And nobody laughed, and they said, I've been through it. You'll be all right. And AA was there in droves. People would call, you need money, you need work, whatever. And, and I came back, and I got back in the food business, and I changed careers again. It's just part of part of the sobriety, you know. Um, I'll I, I tell this one story uh, of a man that I got to sponsor. Uh, Bob remembers him. I know my brother Mike does, and I'm sure a few of you, Dave, probably remembers. I was a member of Security Thursday night, and I guess I'm about five years sober, and it was our group anniversary. And, and like probably your group anniversary, it was an eating meeting. And uh, a friend of ours, Duke, 
went to Oakview, which was around at that time, treatment center in Elkin City, and used to pick up drunks and bring them to our meeting. Well, he brought this big Italian boy, about six foot four, to our group anniversary. And this guy's a big man. And it's the first time he's ever been to Alcoholics Anonymous. And he walks into AA, and, you know, there's three tables over there with shrimp and chicken and barbecue and meatballs and cake and pudding. And, you know, he's like, damn, I love AA. <laughs> you know, I tried to explain to him that not all meetings are like that. But uh, anyway, he, uh, he came the next week, and, of course, it was just disappointing. It was just coffee and donuts. But he asked me to sponsor him, and I said it would be an honor. And, and I started sponsoring him, and this is about October of 94, um, 95, whatever. He took a drink again uh, around the holidays, and in January uh, he gave another shot to get sober, and he threw himself into the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. One of them guys, once in a while, uh, God throws you a bone with a sponsee and just gets excited and calls you up and starts reading a big book over the phone to you and telling you what he read, and, you know, and I'm... Yeah, 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 doctor's opinion, yeah, I'm right with you, you know. Um, he got excited about AA, and, 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 you know, I mean, he went through the steps. And actually, he went through the steps so fast that I was asking some old-timers, is he going too fast? And they all said, no, this guy's working them, you know. And he made, he had a lot of financial amends, and he made them. And Anyway, he comes up to his one-year anniversary, and he celebrates a year. He runs into his high school girlfriend, and marries her, and, and life is good. And this is January of 96, and, and, and the guy's good AA, and he became a very good friend. In February, a month later, he gets diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, and by July, he's dead. But the thing is why I tell this story, because, see, my experience you don't know if you're the teacher or the student. And I love that about AA, you know? And, uh, and, and what Lou Gehrig's disease do, does to you, besides losing muscle power, you'll eventually lose the power of speech. And, and, and him, I don't know what it is with me and showers and men, but I used to get in a shower with him and Jim Shorts and help him because his wife couldn't lift him. He's a big man, you know? Um, but uh, before he lost the complete control to communicate, this is what he told to me. And Vince was a veteran. He said, Tim, I'm an alcoholic. I'm, uh, I'm an alcoholic. And uh, if it weren't for Alcoholics Anonymous, I'd be dying by myself in a VA hospital in Baltimore City. You know? I was like, my God. And he died with dignity as a sober man of AA. Have you ever witnessed such courage as that? Absolutely incredible. Incredible. What a gift this is. A lot of you know I have two children. I have a daughter, Trina, who's 27. I have a five-year-old granddaughter. My daughter lives in Seaford, Delaware. I was down there this past weekend to watch my granddaughter's last t-ball game. My daughter has a husband. And if anybody's a father in here and has daughters, my daughter married a man. He's a, he's a father's dream of a husband for a daughter. And, and believe me, before he came along, she went through some characters. <laughs> it happens. Not bad kids, but they did, didn't do anything. 
but uh, I love my son-in-law with all my heart, you know. I talk to my daughter almost every day. Every day. I love my Trina. I love my kids because I'm their father. But you know what? I like them. A lot of you know my son's in the United States Army and he went to Iraq. He just got back last September. Boy, it was AA there in droves. Glenn and, and Dave and people from my home group and AA all over would call and all the time ask, how's your son doing? Have you heard from him? And you know, my son was in Iraq. He called me at least once a week besides being able to get email, you know. And uh, what a gift that was. That was a scary year. You know, and, and I had, and my prayers picked up in regards to that. I mean, I'm not the only man or wife that's ever lost a son or daughter to the, to the altar of freedom. It's been going on since we founded this country. You know, but, and my prayers were every morning, you know, please bring back our young men and young women. And by the way, don't take my baby. You know, but thy will be done. And if that would have happened, it would have broke my heart. It would have crushed my heart. But you'd have been there because you were there the whole year he was there via emails, phone calls, and what have you. I'm going to get emotional on this one. When he came back stateside, he called his mom and his sister and said, I'm going to see you all. I'm going to see you all when I get back, but I need a couple nights with Dad. He said, I'm going to be with my pop first. Jesus, sorry. He says, when I got back stateside, I want to be with my pop. And he spent three nights with me, and we talked to the wee hours in the morning. We laughed, and he told me some stuff that he didn't want to tell some other people, you know. That's the gift of Alcoholics Anonymous, that my 22-year-old son, 23-year-old son now wanted to sit and be with his dad. And he says, I want to tell you what I saw over there, Dad, and what I felt and what happened, you know. What an honor. What an honor. Man, I owe you guys. I owe you big time. I think I do. You know, that's the kind of things that have happened to me in sobriety. You know, if you're new in here tonight, and I know there's a lot of old timers, but I know there's some new people in here. And if your last drink or your last drug, it ain't going to get any better. It's a fantasy. You know, the alcoholism is here. It's not in what you're shooting, snorting, or drinking. It's here. And in order for me, my experience to me to get out of here is I got to get with you. You know, it's very simple. Out of self, into God, into others. And when I practice that very simple solution, which is the 12 steps wound up, man, I'm laughing tonight like we did before this meeting. Not all the time. I get scared. I get depressed just like you do. But there's always hope. Once that flame's been lit, there's no denying it. And, and I'm going to close with this one story, and it's a funny story. A lot of you know I'm a Civil War reenactor, living historian, and I haven't really done much this year but with the move and the job, and I'm looking forward in July doing First Manassas. But uh, I got to do some movie shoot on the gods and generals. I wasn't around. I've been doing it 10 years. I wasn't around for the movie Gettysburg. And God's in general is the prequel to that. And uh, I went away for the first weekend. It was about three years ago. Actually, I'm not real crazy about the movie, but uh, the car- uh, Robert Duvall's Robert E. Lee and Stephen Lang plays Stonewall Jackson, absolutely fabulous men. But anyway, I go away this weekend in, in Stanton, Virginia. And, and, I mean, we're on like a 15,000-acre farm where they, they're doing this shooting. 
and, and I'm there Friday night because they want you out in the field at, at 5 in the morning. You have breakfast at 4.30, take advantage of daylight. Now, I walk out on this field on Saturday, and they got all the, all the props, the broken cannon wheels and the caissons and the, the dummy horses and the dummy soldiers and the uniforms and buttons and canteens, and I'm like, damn, this is like Disney World, you know? And, and we do all day, and, and it, we're doing first Manassas, and I'm a Yankee, so we're losing. Or I'm either running away or dying all day long. And, uh, but anyway, we go to lunch, and, uh, uh, and this is a true story. Um, the assistant director comes up to me and, and three other uh, union fellows, and he said, uh, I want you guys to do a, uh, a, a stunt scene, uh, to do a hand-to-hand combat with our stunt actors. I said, you're kidding. He said, no. So he picks four of us, and he has four stuntmen that are dressed as Confederates. And we go out on the field. Now, I'm with stuntmen, and I know this is going to be on film. Already, I'm like, Mel Gibson, Cosner, here I come. That, you know, that homeboy A guy, that ego, you know. I accept this award on behalf of, you know. So we're, uh, we're, <laughs> we're out in the field, and, uh, they, they give us rubber bayonets to put on our reproduction muskets, and, you know, they're walking us through this drill. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, you know, I'm, I'm to stab this, this reb, and, and he knocks my musket away, and, and butts me, and I go down, and he stabs me, right? You know, so they walk you through it five, six times. All right, so everybody's all set, and, you know, they go, action. You know, and I boom, 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 down, and I'm dead, right? I hear, cut! Now, I'm laying on the ground thinking, who's the jerk that screwed this up? You know what I mean? Man, I was perfect. You know? The director comes over to me, assistant director comes over to me, puts his arm on my shoulder, and he says, you know, um, I love you reenactors. First of all, you do it for free. Secondly, you're a fine bunch of men. But i got to tell you, young man, when you're in a death scene, you can't be smiling. (laughs) So my Hollywood career is over. (laughs) You know, I walked off the field that Sunday evening. I smell like a wet dog in a forest fire with that wool uniform and the camp smoke and the perspiration. I'm dirty. I'm hungry. And the sun's setting in the Shenandoah Valley because it's about 9 o'clock. And I am dog tired. And the sun's going down in that beautiful part of our country. And I look up into the sky and I go, thank you. I'm the type of guy that sat on a bar stool all his life and told you what he was going to do. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do better than you. I'm going to do it longer than you. I'm going to do it faster than you. You know what I did? I did nothing but take another drink. Because of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's a place where dreams come true. Thank you all very much.